0: The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Collective Whisper podcast with me, Simon Kay. Please follow us. Please subscribe. Please show us your love. It means the world to us. Thank you so much. So moving on to this week's guest, today I'd like to welcome Katrina O'Sullivan. Katrina O'Sullivan is a singer-songwriter and one of the judges on TG4's talent show, Glorchier. Katrina is 16 years a judge on the hit country music show. Also a singer-songwriter, she's currently working on her second album of original material in a pop country style. In May 2021, she was delighted to score a number one hit on the Irish country music chart with a pop country original duet, co-written and performed with amazing singer-songwriter Johnny Brady called This Country Girl. She wrote the lyrics for Irish language version of Finghula, as featured on the Late Late Show and Air ad. She has hit singles with her self-penned songs I'll Be There and Let Yourself Go from her album Fallen Angel. She is also co-author of eight Irish language textbook series for Leaving and Junior Cert with Gill Publishing and is also a teacher of music and Irish. She worked as a musical director on several musical productions over the past 16 years and also conducts choir. With a huge passion for the Irish language, she also very much enjoyed being a member of the board of Forest na for a four-year period. Katrina O'Sullivan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Simon, for having me. <laughs> You're more than welcome. It's lovely to have you on. We were, we were having some technical difficulties before we came on there, but hopefully everything's good. So if you hear an odd burp or fart or whatever, <laughs> it's not from us. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know what
1: you'd hear inside my house, I'll tell you now between no, myself, no. cats and children. <laughs> you, you are in Kerry, yes? I'm in Tralee, in Kerry, yeah, in County Kerry in Ireland.
0: Yeah. Wow, great place. I haven't been in Tralee in years, but it's a wonderful place. Beautiful place, loads of beaches. We're lucky our house is 5 minutes from the beach, so
1: we're very lucky especially now during lockdown and everything it was great to be able to escape off for lovely walks and things. We're blessed where we live, definitely.
0: Corraheen, is that where you are or That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah, we're out in Curaheen. So we're on the Tralee to Dingle road. So it's all coastline and I absolutely love the sea myself. So it's a fabulous place to go for walks and Go with the kids and the dog and everything else, and how do I say? For a bit of open space, uh, very therapeutic. So I kept our sanity during lockdown.
0: You're not far from one of my former guests, Pauline Scanlon, Dingle woman.
1: Yes, yes, not far at all. Only about twenty minutes out the road to Pauline. Yeah, so not far at all. So uh, steeped in loads of traditional music.
0: It's very close, really, isn't it? I suppose
1: very close. Yeah, and we, we often drive out to Dingle ourselves for a little day trip with the kids. Uh, we love it back there and all around Sleighhead. It's one of my favourite spots in Kerry, really. It's gorgeous back there. Yeah. And uh, I suppose I went back to learn Irish there back in the day as well. So I have very fond memories of the place. We went back to Dune Queen to cruiser's bar when i was 20 to learn irish so that's kind of where it
0: all started that's where it all began
1: uh i dragged Pearl, johnny brady down there for the music video
2: <laughs> 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 i love it back there yeah
0: i'm sure dingle and, and that area Kerry, has seen so many music videos on the beaches and everything
1: oh it has yeah i suppose walking on cars have brought its prominence in recent years and um i just kind of really had a notion myself that i wanted to shoot the music video back where i learned irish because I suppose I met Johnny through Glor on and TG Cahar, and I went back to there to learn Irish in the first place. So that's where the whole journey began, really, Do you know, in terms of going to yeah. Glor meeting him, then us doing a duet and doing a song. So it's funny how it all goes. Yeah, one big
0: cycle. Tell us in like at the moment there now in your your part of the world, you know, in Kerry, obviously, is are things, you know, kind of coming back to normal now after the whole pandemic or or are they escalating again? Well, I think people are aware of the
1: numbers are going up quite high and Kerry is very high, actually, at the moment. Um, we were very lucky for much of the pandemic. Um, our numbers are quite low, but uh, recently now our numbers have shot up. But look, at least a lot of people are vaccinated, so it's not quite as alert as it was you know a year ago or six months ago but um the numbers are quite high at the moment so i suppose people are just trying to live away with it as as much as they can you know there comes a stage where you know people have to go to school and they have to go to the shops and they have to do their things so um the summer was quite nice because we were able to do a lot outdoors and the weather was pretty good so we were lucky there do you know you kind of just look at your positives where you can find them
0: for you then obviously filming Gloria and and other stuff i mean have you had to do stuff remotely or have you been able to go into the studios or when did that kind of start back again? for you?
1: Well, Glortier actually kept going throughout the pandemic because, um, under the broadcasting act, the TV services were allowed. They were deemed to be an essential service. So even during the worst of the pandemic, obviously with very strict health and safety rules on set, um, Glortier went ahead last year. We've got to finish off one season. It was postponed for a number of months. All right. Um, when the lockdown first happened in March, we were in the middle of doing Glortira. So we, our last two shows of that season were postponed until the following November. And by then, the government had brought in an act to say that TV was an essential service. So I was glad for the contestants' sake from that season that they got to finish out their series after all the effort they'd put in, you know, in terms of rounding up campaigns and votes and everything else. It was nice for them to finish out the series. And then we started the new series um, from last year. And we got to, re- you know, record last year's series. With one or two little delays due to COVID and very strict, as I said, health and safety on set. But we managed to get it done anyway, which was great. We got it in the gang.
0: Brilliant. That's really good. Yeah. So let's go. We'll go back a bit first before we get up to where we are at the moment in life. So... Obviously, you grew up around Currie there and Tralee and that kind of area. So what was it like growing up for you there? Were you heavily entrenched in the Irish kind of gaelic scene or was that something you got into later?
1: I got into it later, to tell you the truth. I mean, in Tralee, Tralee is an English speaking town, as you know. And um, in my dad's bar, um, I suppose we literally moved to my dad's bar, the Munster Bar in Tralee there when I was around eleven. Um, I suppose growing up, you know, traditional music was always a big feature in the national schools in Kerry. So I started out, you know, learning to whistle and learning the accordion in national school, which was in and 4 for me, a little tiny village there where the airport is. Um, But I was always exposed to music. My mum and dad had rented the bar in the airport in Kerry. And as a child, you were able to run the length and breadth of the whole airport. <laughs> there were no locked doors Jeez. in those days.
2: Um,
1: and you
0: could. That's a great workout.
1: I know, it was great fun. And they had a piano there. I used to be up banging away in the piano. And I'd customers telling me for years after how cross I was up wrecking their peaceful point with bashing on the piano outside there. And um, you could run the whole length and breadth of the place. And it was it was an exciting place for a child. You know, you'd a lot of parachuting clubs back in those days in Farnfort Airport. Uh, a lot of small planes, a lot of parachuting clubs, you know, a lot of pictures all over the walls of uh, the peoples in the clubs. And, um, you know, I remember the, the air traffic control. It was a place that held a lot of mystery for me, listening to the noises of the air traffic control outside the door. There was a little spiral staircase up to it, and I'd be there as a three and four year old listening to these sounds. You know, it was quite exciting and all oh, the wow. people you met and everything. It was great fun. And then we would a couple of quiet years in a private house, say, when they left the airport bar. And then when I was around 11, um, we moved to Tralee, which was great from the point of view of my music because um, in Tralee town then was when I started going to piano lessons and singing lessons and doing all that being exposed to all of that sort of thing. Um, because our the teacher in the national school had said, you know, it recommended the parents you should get some formal music education. But with the Irish, my mother was an Irish teacher. My parents used to use um, little phrases like, you know, if a customer was, you know, giving you a little bit of grief, they'd say, oh, na Bach. You know, in other words, take no notice. That's what that means. <laughs> Let it over your head. Not, most customers are absolutely lovely. But, you know, if there was someone, you know, saying this or saying that, you'd just go, na Bach. And she'd use a little bit of Irish as code. Or, you know, if you were... Uh,
0: there were like L- little secretive gale goers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Little phrases here and there. Or if we were if we were making up, kicking up a bit of a stink as children, Mom would say, you know, don't be cano shalling. So there's this thing in Irish where if you shawling, when I look it up it means to be moaning or get so little words like that, don't be shawling, and you're like a pishkin or you know, so she wasn't speaking Irish to us, but there was these little words and phrases that were thrown in the day to day speech that you so I think there was a kind of a
0: familiarity with their it was like pigeon irish kind of wasn't it
1: yeah 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 it was like hiberno hiberno is it english they call it or a little mixture of english and irish i suppose here and there right um but i suppose what it did mean is you'd an empathy and you'd a kind of a you weren't afraid of the language it was a natural part of your upbringing you know um these little words and phrases so i always had an affinity for it um but I suppose going to school, I loved all languages. I loved English and history. Uh, music wasn't offered as an academic subject. So it was the performance side I did through school. Um, and it was funny. My dad I suggested, why don't you do music in college? Because it wasn't offered in my school as an academic subject at the time. And I kept ruling everything else out, saying it wouldn't give me time for music. And he goes, well, why don't you do music? And that thought had never occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew I loved it. But, I, you know, I suppose I wasn't really planning ahead about what I was going to do in college or whatever. So um you know, the old bit of reason and common sense came in there from from the dad with that one.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, though? Because I often wonder because, you know, I always say whenever I have a an Irish speaker on the show, you know, my, my Irish is terrible. And I, I always feel a little guilty for it because all those years messing in the classroom and not paying attention and making up rap songs in Irish, but not learning the language, you know, this kind of rubbish. And, I know, uh, I know. But It's funny. It's great to see, obviously, you know, Irish made a strong comeback in the last 10, 20 years. And, you know, it's been spoken a lot more. And and as I say to some people, there's lots of, um, you know, asylum seekers and foreign nationals living in Ireland who are now speaking Irish. Oh, yeah. And there's like a second generation. That's amazing, no?
1: It absolutely is. I mean, I was teaching honours, the top honours um, Irish Leaving Cert class last year. Um, I went job sharing last year, but I was at the top class and about a third of my class were, you know, people of foreign descent um, in the top honours Irish class. And a lot of it is just, you know, if people have a strong work ethic in general, I suppose, with their studies, and if they have a, a mindset that they are open to learning English, you know, they will pick it up. I mean, a third of them, you know, had no one at home who speaks, speaks Irish or would help them with their homework. It was just by dint of their own hard work that they were there, fair play to them, you know. So um, it was great to see yeah. that. And I suppose... Probably as well, they say, don't they, in a lot of studies you'd read about languages, that if you, if you have two languages, it's easier to pick up a third. So I suppose they themselves yeah. might, they might have another language at home, then they'd learn their English maybe as a second language, or maybe they were born and reared in Ireland, depending. But they'd be kind of, you know, it would be the norm to them to maybe have a second language in the house from their parents, Um and the same with a lot of you know pe- people of all uh, from anyone outside Ireland. They're kind of used to having two languages in the home, so they don't really pay any heed of picking up a third or a fourth language. You know, it's a lot of it's the mindset.
0: The shame about it is, you know, I um, I remember I had a great guest, uh, Ola Majikadumi. She's like a journalist from Dublin, and she's a great Irish speaker. And she, uh, you know, we were talking about this is, is that sometimes we still have this kind of it's a like a culture shock because you know if you meet somebody who's from Galway and they speak Irish, you expected somebody from Tralee, whatever. But when you meet somebody from Nigeria or somebody from India or Sri Lanka and they speak Irish, we're really surprised. Like You're like, really? Yeah. So I I think that will change. But it it is. It's a big surprise for people because I know my sister is married to um, her husband's from India, Mm -hmm. but their children now go to an Irish school. And so they speak Irish pretty well. That's lovely. Someone could meet them in the future and say, really, you speak Irish and be more shocked yeah because their skin tone do you know what i mean i
1: know i know but it's funny a friend of mine said um you know when you look at what's going to you know kind of unify us in terms of what it means to be irish these days she yeah. was saying you know wouldn't the irish language be a lovely one because it's not divisive you know what i mean You're, it's not a religion it's not um no. a skin color it's not an ethnicity um and they were saying you know the irish language could be something an irish you know irish music and irish dancing and irish language That can be the thing, you know, that sort of breaks down the barriers. And I thought that's a lovely idea. And that is what's happening, because, as you say, people of all skin tones now as they're coming up through the school system, Um, and all different ethnic backgrounds. You know, some of them are my top Irish students last year
0: already. You know what I mean? Even as we speak. So they were in the top group. I think what's great now is, especially in the world of entertainment, like this girl Ola and people like yourself and Hector O'Hoggan, I mean, there are certain people that stand out in the Irish psyche and the Irish culture that are, I don't want to say household names, but there's... There's like one generation, let's say like yourself and Hector, Mm -hmm. but now there's a new generation that are coming up that are, you know, like in their early 20s and are a new voice and they're the voice of maybe an ethnic voice that speaks Irish and is now on radio and TV. It's brilliant. It's fantastic to see it, absolutely. And it's the way it should be
1: too. And it's wonderful to see it happening, absolutely. And I do think the language can be something that does that, that, you know, unifies everyone. And because we have to redefine, I suppose, irishness and what it is to be irish and as you say you know like with the way things change over a 20 30 year period i think the cultural area is an area that can unify and that isn't divisive you know um and it's kind of a safe ground for people to come together and go okay what what makes us irish our culture you know and our our language and our culture and everyone can have access to that you know
0: yeah well that's that's always been the thing you know what makes a person irish and and there's all these stereotypes out in the world you know i'm living in spain and it's crazy. I go to somebody's house and they say, will you have a beer? And I say, I'll have one. But I, I and then they'll offer me another one. I say, no, no I'm, I'm driving. And they say, I've never seen an Irishman refuse drink. And I'm like, you kind of look at them like, really, I just told you I'm driving like I can't. You know, it doesn't matter what yeah. country I'm in. If I was here on the bike, I'd probably have five of them. Yeah. But the thing is that. It's there's like this stereotype. It's kind of like nothing will stop an Irishman having a load of pints. Yeah, But yeah. that thing that has changed now because people obviously have more responsibilities and there is that stereotype that will always follow the Irish. But it's great. Now, I look when I love looking through the newspapers and TV programs from Ireland and you see that ethnic diversity and you see the new generation of young people coming up and they don't have that stereotype on their back as much now
1: absolutely and it's great to see it's great to i mean i even see it myself um teaching in school you know what i mean there isn't as much stereotyping and that you know everyone mixes away and you know i think gradually that's those issues are going to phase out i hope anyway I, i mean as far as what i can see they have faded out to a large extent because you know everyone mixes and you know i suppose Children are often, how do I say, far more pure and far more um, morally sound (laughs) than the adults, I often think, you know, and they're refreshing and, um, you know, they treat everyone the same. And I mean, I'm sure there can still be some issues. Don't get me wrong. I do hear from friends of mine from different ethnic backgrounds. There can still be some issues, but I think gradually those issues are you know, petering out uh, more than what they were 10, 20 years ago, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always going to be some issues. And, you know, I, I think like, you know, not to get into racism and anything like that, but there always will be racism, but it, it'll be different levels in different parts of society. But the main thing, I just think like collectively, obviously we can do a lot, but individually we just have to kind of teach our kids and say, look, you know, We can't be like this because, like you said, their kids don't have these stigmas and prejudices. It's sometimes adults that give it to them as they're growing up. So, oh, completely.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I would have emphasized a lot, actually, during Irish class, because I have a huge interest in history myself. um, You know, we were doing an essay about poverty and I was saying, you know, I made sure to kind of put across to the class like, you know, Ireland has a history of colonialism. Ireland has a very similar history to a lot of the countries yeah. um, that my students of different ethnic backgrounds are from in the first place. And, you know, I was just trying to make the point that, I mean, you know, it's not that long ago we had to deal with the same type of things ourselves uh, and the same exactly. stereotypes and prejudices ourselves. So you would certainly hope that most um Irish people, you know, w- would be aware of that, like of our own history, you know.
0: When you go, you know, just staying on the Irish for a sec, when you go from Tralee there and and, and, and obviously in Kerry, where you're from, the, the Corrheen, when you go to Galway now, do you notice a big difference in the Irish spoken in Galway and in Tralee and Kerry?
1: Yeah, there would be quite a difference in dialects. So there would um, be, tw- and especially between, say, the Donegal dialect and the Kerry dialect. Yeah. That would be the biggest difference. And a bit of a difference with the Galway
0: one too. So obviously then when you were a teenager, You know, as a teenage girl there, were you outgoing? Were you shy? You know, did you did you do a lot of activities besides singing and Irish?
1: Um, Most of my activities were music based. Um, I wouldn't have been a naturally sporty person (laughs) at all. (laughs) The only sport I was any good at was swimming. I would have been active like I walked to school every day. You know, I would have walked everywhere. Around the town, so I would have got my exercise that way. And I, I was terrible at basketball, which was our main school sport at the time. We couldn't make any hand of that. Um, so I wasn't a team sportswoman, but I loved swimming and I loved badminton and I loved walking. But most of my activities were all I was absolutely obsessed with music. Really, so it was going to singing lessons, going to piano lessons, um, you know, taking part in whatever masses, you know, in choirs and things locally that had to yes. be sang at, and writing songs so it was very much i suppose that and the academic side um and and then you know you know when you didn't have cars obviously and you weren't being driven everywhere i was there was a lot of walking and the swimming and things you were active all right but I would. I was never a sports bunny. I usually came last in the the old races when it came to the running and things. If if I came second last, I was nearly celebrating, you know. <laughs> so I still struggled.
0: You were you were humming a tune in your head as you were crossing the finish line last. Pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And going back to your parents, there were your are your parents both Kerry people, or do you have other family in other parts of the country?
1: They're both from Kerry, actually. Yeah, my mother is from Kilorglin, and my dad is from Farnfour Village. Um, so they're both from Kerry and, um, so most of our relatives would be from Kerry, but more so from South Kerry actually than from, I've no relatives around the Trilly or North Kerry area where, where I live now. Um, okay. so it's all kind of and Killarney, Far and Four, Um, and a lot of my first cousins are big into music actually and big into singing as well. You know, I've kind of, I'm still finding out about them first cousins and second cousins, ones in Killarney and ones in Cork that are huge into it, you know, so I think it was very strong there, and I think my grandmother used to rate people on how good a dancer they were. That's how that's how yes. she rated people. <laughs> that man's a terrible dancer.
0: <laughs> you you brought back memories there, you know, like when you were saying about the tin whistle, and I used to have a teacher. I won't I won't say her name, but she used to give you a tap on the head with the oh, tin whistle. You oh know, god. if you, you weren't playing the right note. That hurts. But I don't <laughs> think she knew the force she had. I don't think she knew it was like. You, and you'd be like, oh god! And then you know them same teachers then doing the Irish dancing and and I used to always say to people that I um I was the first michael flatley because I couldn't keep my hands by my sides <laughs> What were you doing with your hands there now, Simon? (laughs) I was dancing and I was waving my hands and they were always saying to me, no, no, keep the hands by the sides. And sure, then Michael Flatley came out and everyone loved it. You were before your time, (laughs) Simon. (laughs) I was before my time. My legs weren't quite as good, but well, it's funny, though, because I went on then and was studying martial arts. So maybe that's what I was trying to do within the dancing.
1: I did a bit of Irish dancing too, actually, and I did four or five years in Killarney and like that I said I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that gifted with physical activity but I was just getting some way half decent after about five years and then we moved to Tralee and the whole one two three was different in Tralee it's like a big jump 2 three your leg would literally have to fly up vertically and I couldn't I was like I couldn't even do the one two three when I came to Tralee because I'm not built to be kicking the legs up sky high like that so uh it didn't work for me <laughs> I couldn't talk step it on
0: after that. Yeah, the Irish dancing I was not a fan of. I mean, and and you know, it's like everything when you're a child. If you're kind of forced into it, you know, you'd say to your mother, "I don't want to do it," and they'd be like, "No, no, you have to do it. Everyone's doing it," and then yeah, you hated it yeah. even more. So I I got away from it and never got back into it. Oh, sure,
1: it's fabulous if you're if you're good at it. You know what I mean? But is it, we all have our own strengths. Yeah.
0: Exactly. If you have the, if you have the yeah, bones and the yeah, moves yeah. for it. So then, uh, did, when you were, you know. Um, as a teenager and you started getting into songwriting and you were playing music and everything, were you doing a lot of gigs, like when you sixteen, 16, 17, did you start playing around in bars? I did, yeah, I did, I kind of it was lovely actually as a summer job
1: I suppose, you know, I, I kind of soon found out this was a far cushier way to earn a few pounds than to be, you know, working in the supermarket or even in my, in my dad's bar or whatever, so um, I went downtown and I got a job actually in a piano bar downtown three nights a week um, and I was delighted with that. At the time of my life, uh, the year we finished the leave and start doing that because you'd meet everyone who was already out and inevitably yes. you'd wind up going out with people after your gig and and sort of meeting random people on the night that you'd end up going out with. It was fantastic. Fun. And
0: tourists and everything. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Now, you know, I mostly stuck to going out with people like where I somewhat knew their face from around the town. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, when I was yeah. by myself, like, but it was great fun. And, um you, you know, you got chatting, I suppose, to, you know, maybe people that you wouldn't necessarily pick up the phone to arrange to go out with them. You'd end up going out spontaneously and it was great fun. And, you know, you kind of got a sense too, it was good for the craft because you got a sense of what kind of songs people liked and you were constantly put on the spot, you know, maybe to pay... Play this song or play that song you hadn't intended playing, and someone might come up and sing a song with you, and they might change key two or three times under the influence of a few drinks. (laughs) You know, it was good for the old improvisatory skills.
0: (laughs) There was a, I was talking to someone one night, and he said, uh, He said, I used to have this like, uh, Yamaha keyboard or something you know and whatever it was he said but there was no transpose button on it he oh, said yeah. and the day and, and he'd be like that playing in the bars and he'd have the backing track on behind him and there'd be people coming up singing changing tunes slowing down yeah. and uh, he said Jesus when I got a keyboard with the transpose button I was always ready for the old one to come up and you know uh, be singing and go up a key or go up two keys yeah. and I'd be follower <laughs> with That's the exactly. transpose button oh the transpose button is worth its weight and gold so it is but yeah on a, it was a
1: real piano I had so you didn't have that option you'd be
0: oh my god you're under yes. a bit of
1: serious pressure
0: <laughs> you really learned your craft there didn't oh, you the
1: sweat would literally be coming out through you like trying to accompany sometimes or some song you'd never heard it before in your life you know and at 16 17 and you were trying to make some shape at being able to accompany people but, um,
0: the hardest people to accompany are the people who let's say, never have sang with an instrument. So yeah. the, they, like, especially there's lots of older men and women and they, they're they not singers, but they've sang lots of old Irish songs and they just sing it like Shanno style or cappella. Yeah. 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 But they don't have, a, they're, they have their own timing. So they can be going faster on one verse and taking different pauses. And you could be with them with the guitar, trying to back them and sure it's going great. And then it changes and they look at you like, what's wrong with you? You know, they're the tough ones.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) There is plenty of that, plenty, plenty of that. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, some musicians blow me away at how good they are. You know what I mean? At accompanying that. But, you know, it was good. It was great experience. Yeah, it was great experience. I mean, you know, we're all learning throughout our whole lives, you know, it's, it's an area that i think it's it's very it's very few people i think who can 100% master that skill like because the change in key and the change, you know you might never have heard the song ever yeah. before etc but you know it was a great old, a great old, um learning curve so it was
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, you get i was playing one night and uh the 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 woman was saying to me it's in g i think it was you know hard times oh, that yes. song yeah. and uh, she said it's in g it's in g so i was playing it in g she said, no, 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 it's in G. And I was like, I, I'm playing in G. And you think, I'm thinking, I don't want to be arguing with her here. And absolutely. and she was like, no, no, that's not G, she said to me. And oh, it was oh, like, God. I, and I mean, what do you do? You know, but she, I don't think she knew G from C, from D, from anything. But, yeah. you know, she just had it set. That's the way I sing it. So you can just do your best in those cases, can't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. That's it. You have to go along with the flow and hope for the best.
0: <laughs> hope for that's the it. best. <laughs> So when you then kind of went to study in music and in, in, in Dublin and uh, you studied music in Irish and was that like something where you thought okay because you probably could have studied in in Tralee and everything but did you said I'm going to go to Dublin and study music formally was was or yeah. was there other places you were looking at like Limerick or Thomond or Do You know what it was
1: it was Dublin straight away because I suppose I was led by the singing and singing was always my number one love and Um, There was a very good singing teacher, Veronica Dunn, in Dublin in the Royal Irish Academy. Oh, yes, yes. So I went up very much with her in mind. And I suppose in the back of my mind, I was also thinking that if you were to be singing at a gig or out in a bar or a club, that you'd more maybe chance of being spotted in Dublin maybe than down the country. Um, So that was part of my thinking as well. It was for those two reasons. Um, That's uh, that's why I had Dublin, because most of my friends actually went to Cork. And they were having an absolute ball down in Cork. You know, it was like a little mini tree up in Cork. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I, I probably got a bit more study done in Dublin than if I'd been down having the crack with them in Cork. But I had great fun in Dublin too, but it was just a different vibe and a different scene. But it was a great place to go to meet other musicians. And um, I suppose when I left college, um, you know, I, I it was a great place to go out to gig venues and nightclubs and, you know, meet other musicians and other bands. So it was definitely the right choice from a music point of view. Uh, I felt anyway, for me at the time, you know, I mean, I know there's, there's a great old scene now in Limerick and Cork and Galway and other cities now as well. But at the time I felt it was very much Dublin was the place to go however many years ago, like when I was going to college, you know? So, um, it was great. And even a lot of people I'm friends with to this day and that I still sing with are, are, was from the college days as well. So I met a lot of really good classical and, um, choral singers in college. And then I met all the kind of rock pop people when I left college to go out into the gigging world, you know, so yeah.
0: There are sometimes two different worlds, but they always collide, you know, and they totally do. Yeah. yeah. And and especially obviously there with Veronica Dunn, I, I, I had Denise Brennan on the show uh, last season and um, she studied with Veronica Dunn as well. I think it was. And it's interesting when people are studying very formally with these type of, you know, uh, singing coaches and, and then I always think, that obviously, if you 're going out partying and going to clubs and everything, you have to go in the next day and, and oh, do the work and If yeah. your voice is not there, you kind of can be in trouble no major trouble major trouble with, with the classical singing it you know it doesn 't
1: work very well at all when you 're going out the night before yeah, and if you 're going into your lesson you you literally the sweat would be rolling down your back like you know with the pressure because they 'd be very annoyed with you that you 're there wasting their time if you 're hoarse or you 're croaky or because you were up late and I found as a girl as well, I used to be jealous of the male singers because the male's voices seemed to kind of stand up to the partying better than the female voice. Um So like, you know, if you were singing pop rock, you can get away with like, oh, there's a lovely husky sound. Whereas with classical singing, there was no room for husk at all, you know, from being up late or or in that time being in a smoky environment or whatever. Um, So you would literally pay for it the next day, you'd be... Feeling very sheepish,
0: <laughs> yeah. Because you know. I, I think for like you know Irish traditional singers, Luke Kelly, that chieftains yeah. kind of style, you know, probably pints of Guinness and bags of peanuts and this stuff. That was is great for that yeah. kind of yeah. vi- voice. Yeah, for that voice. But, yeah. but I can imagine if you're trying to like fine tune your voice. early in the morning in a college and you had drinks the night before or even just even if you weren't drinking but went to bed late exactly your voice can't hack it absolutely there were some pretty hairy moments now when it came to that I mean I remember doing the soprano
1: part even of a Sunday morning for mass you know and I remember my voice just warmed up literally of course rolling out of the bed then at the last minute because you're absolutely exhausted from being up whatever night yeah 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 And I remember singing the whole thing like down the octave and the conductor looking at me very nervously till about 20 past 10 and mass was on at half 10. And then, you know, the sweat again coming out through you going, oh my God, I'll be letting everyone down now, the whole choir, 30 people. And then your voice would eventually warm up. And just in the nick of time, maybe, you know, 28 minutes past 10, your voice would just warm up and you'd be able to hit those high notes again. But uh, the warming up with the classical singing is really important and warming up when you've had a late night and you're rolling out of bed and trying to thaw out um, during the exercises, eventually your voice would warm back up again and be able to hit notes. But there were some moments where you were, literally, you would pay a price if you were out late, you know? For sure. Uh, And I did find that, that even being up late, you'd go a bit croaky, like,
0: yeah. Would you class yourself as a Celtic soprano?
1: You know, I'm a mixture of things. Actually, Simon, I suppose in recent years, I'm kind of focusing more on my songwriting and my songwriting isn't kind of a, a, a country Nashville pop style at, at the moment. I mean, I've written in all styles over the years. My training would have been Celtic soprano. Yeah, with Veronica Dunn and that. And, you know, if, if like I've done a number of gigs, you know, even up to what maybe say like a year or two ago in the concert hall, where I would have been singing in my Celtic soprano voice and there's some songs I've written that lend themselves to that that are kind of folk ballads with classical strings and an orchestra behind them and that's the kind of material I would showcase there but then um I also write songs I suppose in the more popular genre with the country influence and that's what I'm at at the moment I suppose I I love all genres and like you know I've always been taught, I suppose, to judge every genre within its own merit, if you know what I mean. I wouldn't sing a pop song like I would a classical song. I don't believe in that. I think you should sing it in its own genre. But I suppose I I always had this kind of dual thing going on where I wanted the classical training and I wanted to be able to hit those notes and have that breath control and have that discipline. And if I'm asked to sing at a wedding ceremony or if I'm asked to go and sing in the concert hall, I'll, I'll go and tap into that training. But then I suppose my own natural voice is the one I use then for the songwriting and the pop country genre and so on. So I'm quite comfortable dipping in and out of different styles like that. I'd be quite a crossover person, I suppose, in terms of...
0: The question, I suppose, what's one is an interesting one for me is when you meet people whether it be piano players or you know from both sides of the coin will say so you have formally trained you know musicians and singers and then you have people who just you know learn by ear and they teach themselves and they learn through their parents and that kind of thing so for you do you see things in let's say for example when you're doing glore cheer and you see lots of fabulous country singers do you see things in that type of singer who's never had any formal training that are very different to formally trained singers that one can't do you know what I mean there's Mm. there's advantages and disadvantages to both
1: yeah I mean I just judge everyone as I hear them like I don't really care whether they're formally trained or not I just care about how good their voice is you know and like sometimes a person might have had no training and be completely self-taught and have an incredible voice. It's just the voice they're born with and have a fabulous resonance themselves. Um, I mean, I think for me, the training was useful because when I was playing in the piano bars when I was 17 that time, my vocal cords were strained by the end of that summer from, say, playing four nights a week. Um, You know, I think for my, for personally, for my voice to stand up to singing several nights a week, I needed the training. That's what I felt because that's the way it went for me. Because when I got to the end of that summer, I felt as if I had a lump in my throat. And when I went to a doctor about it, my cords were slightly stretched. And it was a combination of singing from my neck, I suppose, because I was playing piano and I was singing and I was, you know, multitasking a lot and talking to the crowd and that I wasn't concentrating on my breathing and and on my technique. Even I'd had four or five years of training at that stage but it was just hard to, you know, do all the multitasking and there was smoke in the bars that time as well. Uh, And I've, and, and the late nights. And so for me personally, I made the decision that that sort of made me feel like it would benefit me to go off and make my voice as strong as I could so that it would stand up to the rigors of gigging. But there were people I've heard in Glortira who are self-taught natural voices and are absolutely amazing as well. They're just born with these amazing voice, this amazing gift. And so it completely just depends. I mean, there are people yeah, exactly, that it, it exactly. really does just depend. I mean, I know like even Adele was saying there, I was listening to an interview of hers recently and she was saying she had to have an operation. A lot of pop singers have incredible voices and do get nodules on their vocal cords and do have to have an operation to get them removed. Classical training does help you avoid that. But then sometimes that beautiful husky tone is gorgeous and um, and like and has loads of character in it. So it's just you know, everyone has their own journey with their voice and and what suits them,
0: you know. When you look at styles of music, because, you know, for example, in the formal training of opera and soprano singers and everything, you know, if you, you can imagine in the 70s, if somebody came in and said... I have like a real rock voice, like, you know, Led Zeppelin or Robert Plant. They'd probably be like saying to you, oh, well, you know, that could be very bad for your voice. And, you know, like even even Robert Plant now sings down in an octave or, you know, less than he used to because of the age and everything. So the thing about it is there's lots of amazing natural singers. But I think they do pay the price after 20 years or so because they don't they don't kind of. They don't know how to look after the I voice know. the same way. It's a
1: really tough one, actually, because I mean, obviously, Robert Plant and Adele and these people, they didn't do too badly for themselves either, however no, many millions no. later. But, but the voice itself will get a bit worn down. But I mean, there are certain songs I've sung, and my husband would have said to me, Oh, you know, I'd like to hear a bit more husk in your voice there. And I'd get cross going, you know, how do I say that goes against, you know, the, the, the years of training I got. But he's like, But it would suit the song to have a bit of husk there. And sometimes I have to begrudgingly say I might listen to another singer sing the same song going, oh, that Husky does sound lovely. But then you have to be you as well. But uh, so it's it's just, it's a, I don't know, it's a lifelong thing. It's a minefield.
0: <laughs> it's a funny thing that you mentioned. It's like if I'm working on a new song, you know, and I'm, I say to my wife, I say, have a listen. And I've said, look, it's only early stages. It's in a demo kind of thing. I'm just throwing around ideas. But what do you think? And I, and now I kind of always said, don't be too hard now. Don't be too critical. Oh, I know. there would be nobody more uh, honest. <laughs> yeah. When people know you so well, they're like thinking, oh, well, you maybe should do this or maybe you should do that or or oh, you are going to do that? So it's hard. And I'm laughing there when you are saying your husband saying be a bit more husky because sometimes family are that they they have your best interests, but they're the hardest critiquers.
1: Oh, they absolutely are. And he absolutely is. And I used to get really cross about it. But recently there's been a few occasions where I had to admit he was right, you know, where like and you have to kind of be humble and go, we're all constantly learning, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we all are. And uh, I'm on a journey, like with my own voice, and, you know, yes, still yes. looking to improve because, you know, when you do say come to do now, say the country popular songs, I'm honing my voice for that, like at the moment. And, I did find one thing he'd said to me for ages and I used to get awfully offended was like, you know, oh, you're singing away too loud into the microphone there. And I'd go like, <laughs> stand back, you're eating the mic. And I used to get so cross going, but you just left off and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, stand
0: away from the speakers.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, but then um, I did try, you know, pulling back my voice quite a bit, say, when we were doing recordings and stuff. And we did some recordings here at home under lockdown. And in a very relaxed environment, I suppose. But my last two singles were done literally in my son's bedroom during lockdown. And I did pull the voice back a lot. And then I have to admit, like, it brought out lovely colours and lovely sounds that I hadn't really maybe put down in recordings before. And then when you did open up the voice, it did sound a lot more effective. And then there's another singer. I have a duet coming out with her tonight, actually, on social media, Chantelle Padden.
0: From she's a former contestant. Oh, I saw of that, actually, on, on the Ivory Sessions thing, yeah. isn't it? but she's an incredible
1: singer and she sounds unreal. And one thing that struck me hugely when I stood next to her physically, you know, right next to her uh, singing the duet that we did, it struck me her with her technique. Her volume was about half mine, but yet through the microphone, it sounds absolutely powerful. And when she'd open up for the chorus, it sounded huge then. But I realized the penny dropped in my own head, basically with this, that with opera singing, you're trained to sing in an auditorium with no microphone and project to the back of the hall. But then when you put a microphone in front of you, I'm going, I do have to modify my technique because this is microphone singing. So you want to bring in all the colors and tones of your voice. And I probably actually could do it lightening off. And that's what I've been at over the past year with my own technique, lightening off my voice and quieting it down a good bit. And and to show the light and shade and the contrast behind a microphone. Yeah, and the
0: control in different areas.
1: Because I'm not projecting to the back of a hall with no mic like you are. In a, in a concert hall or something. Well, I
0: mean, I I, I remember when I started singing I started out as the busker and you're in the streets and you're projecting to the whole street. Yeah. So then when you when you start singing into a mic, you're like, whoa, what's this thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. you have to yeah. learn to, con- like, you have that control in the street, but you have to learn projection. Because, yeah. You know, you, you're trying to reach everybody down yeah. the streets and everybody yeah. coming. And you're yeah. using the, I'd be in Shop Street and go over there. You're using the natural acoustics. And, um, so then when you get in front of a mic and you're you're like, you're kind of, whoa, well, this thing is giving me power. So you have to learn to pull back. Yes, and it's, yeah. It's a learning. It's a learning curve, isn't it? It absolutely
1: is. And and I mean, I've been I've been you know, I did my al- my first album 16, 17 years ago, but I'm still learning. You're always still yeah. learning. And um, I, the one thing that kind of I was really working on last year and the penny really dropped me is to go to the very soft part of your voice and the real feminine part of your voice it's actually just as powerful as when you're doing the big loud high note and and again I'm watching other singers like Chantelle and what they're doing because I really admire her singing she's absolutely fantastic um and you know so young and she's an incredible singer now she's someone say with Gloria that blew me away and it, you know she's even Come on, since she's a fantastic singer, but just watching other people again and then kind of going, oh, "Okay, this gives me something to think about and, and standing next to her, stephen was my husband was right. I hate telling him that, but he was right about the volume
0: no, but but it's nice, and it's nice to be inspired i, I think it's a great thing when you're you're talking to somebody or you see somebody else doing their craft, and it's nice to get that inspiration where oh you yeah go, okay, I'm going to go away and do that. you know I want to get back there. Just one thing you were saying about the we were talking about the nodules, obviously, and people losing their voice. Um, a singer my wife loves listening to for years and she's a nice singer i i don't listen to all her songs kind of too much but is uh, emily sande you know oh yes
1: yes Mm -hmm.
0: emily sande i turned on the tv one night and there was like a bbc two session with or something with her on but it was it was kind of it was very sad i'll tell you why because she was singing and we had heard her singing you know few years before she was kind of had a quieter period. She was writing songs, but she lost her voice and she had a lot of trouble doing tours because and she kept losing her voice. But we watched this concert and you could see how they had the band were facilitating her when she had lost her voice. So there'd be certain notes that she couldn't hit and the backing singers would do it. And there was one song as well. And my wife said, wow, her voice. My my wife was saying it's disappointing because her voice doesn't sound as good. And then this high bit was coming up in the song and we thought, how is she going to do this? Her voice doesn't sound great, you know. And then what she did was the band did a breakdown. So the band started mm-hmm. pl- introducing the band members so she didn't have to do the high bit. But it was quite sad because you're kind of saying the problem is that when you're a singer of a certain calibre and like she had an amazing voice. And I don't know if her vo- will her voice come back to way it was, but or she just had a bad night. But it's sad to see this because there's so much pressure on these singers. So much pressure. Mm.
1: Oh, huge. Absolutely. I mean... I know, well, if you were, you know, if you were in that kind of those shoes, you know, you'd be very uncomfortable up on the stage and, yeah. and very, very hard to keep the bright side out, you know, if a person knew they couldn't hit those notes. And one thing I will say for the classical training is that it does teach you it's like it's like, you know, the stretches you do before you go running, yeah. even though I'm not a runner now, but the stretching and that they do before and after exercise, that's what it's like for your voice. It's how to warm up. You don't go and run really fast for 30 miles without stretching first. And it's the same thing with singing. The the classical training is great to give you exercises to warm your voice up and that even when you have a cold or if you have a flu or something, you can kind of bypass your throat. You can go straight from the tummy and the the diaphragm, you know, to out your mouth without, you're not tensing any of the muscles in your neck. And the classical singing does give you that little safety blanket that even when you're choked with flu or choked with a cold, with the training, you can bypass your neck Wow. And, and keep those muscles very relaxed. So I will say that for it. you know, as I said, there there are songs where sometimes now even I was doing a song in the Ivory Sessions there um, in May, and uh, it was a Miley Cyrus country. Part I heard one. that. That
0: was a, lo- a lovely version. I was listening yeah. to that. It was lovely. But
1: I use a little bit of glottal stop here and there where I purposely did that ah sound from my neck, you know, purposely. But then I go back into head. I, I don't stay in my neck. I might hit it for a note and go back into the um. Head voice for the rest of the line, but just give it that kind of. It's, the chorus do it a lot as well. That ah sound is called a glottal stop, and um, you know
0: it's just dipping in and out. Can I ask you a question that I've always kind of wondered with with soprano singers and and formal singers? Like when you're a lot of singers will sing standing up, obviously, and their diaphragm is in a different position and it's maybe more open. But how how have you overcome that when you're sitting? in front of the piano because you know it's harder to sing and sit isn't it 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 so is there a special type of training for that when in a seated position not really no it's up you kind of have to just really work hard yourself
1: and it is there is more to it when you're multitasking because obviously you're concentrating and playing the piano even and but i suppose with the years and years and years i do automatically you know because i was doing the training for so long um you know, I'd be good at automatically engaging my diaphragm now better than when I was 17. But that's what was going wrong with me when I was 17 in the piano bars is I wasn't pulling up the diaphragm while I was sitting because I'd only done four or five years of training. Whereas, you know, maybe after 11 years of training, it comes more naturally to me now that I can switch that on. But um, it is harder and I wouldn't sing, like I wouldn't sing Ave Maria or I wouldn't sing, you know, a big Andrea Bocelli song sitting down in a fit or Oh Holy Night or something like that. I'd have to stand up for those.
0: So for you, for example, if you're doing a, a concert and you're singing a few songs at the piano, and then you know, okay, this next one's a belter. I need to really give this. Like you'll stand up. I'd stand yeah. up for that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Like so, I'd sit down for most pop, rock, and traditional songs. I can sit sing them sitting down. Most of them, unless they're a really, unless they're really big high notes and they are a belter, you know. Um, but most of them I can. But if it was a classical song, I was being asked to sing, I'd have to stand up. Do you know, if it was a Andrea Bocelli song or a Oh Holy Night or Elephant to Fantasy or something, I'd have to stand up for those. I could sing them sitting down, but they wouldn't be as good. Do you know, I'd need to stand up to give it the the full breathing and everything.
0: Yeah. Let's get on to obviously some of your releases and you know some of your songwriting and some fabulous songwriting, and it's you're you're doing really well with it. It's great to see.
1: Oh, thanks, Simon. Thanks, me.
0: When you're when you kind of were. In that formal background, but but having that other songwriting thing behind you, you know, where it was always there. Yeah. Was it always kind of country you were going to, where you were trying to write for specifically, or was it pop country?
1: It was pop country and and a lot of soul, actually. I listened to an awful lot of soul music as well. I listened to an awful lot of music of the 70s, a lot of Motown and soulful singing. And, and even friends of mine would say, I, I would always veered towards singing things in a soulful way um i love aretha franklin absolutely love her i love nina simone i'd listen to an awful lot of them um ella fitzgerald and nina simone and aretha franklin i really love and one singer that stands out for me in america at the moment with the country scene is chris stapleton because he sings country music in such a soulful yes, way he's a
0: lovely voice oh,
1: amazing voice i love his voice and it's I, I i i'm big into that sort of soulful type of singing and I think everything should have a little bit of soul in it, you know, like in the way you approach it. And
0: I love that type of singing here. Just when you mentioned Chris Stapleton, actually, and obviously, you know, Irish country music is different to American country music. So, yeah, in the sense that Irish country music is its own style. And you'll see, obviously, a lot of, you know, uh, Michael English and uh, what's his name? Um Jason, what's his name? Jason Travers is it? or, you know, these kind of singers they will, they ha- they kind of use they do the American songs but it's as an Irish twist to it. So do you think, and then Robin Mazel and these kind of country singers and you'll hear a lot of them on Midwest radio do you think that, that it has its own style or do you think that they are just interpreting those songs in a different way?
1: Um, there is an Irish country style for sure um, and You know, a lot of a lot of singers probably mix on their sets. I noticed they'd have a mixture of Irish ballads. If they're doing a concert program, they'll often mix in like the Irish ballads with the Irish country style and with a few American style songs as well. Most country singers I know do a mixture of all three, just depending on the event. So if they're doing a big outdoor event where people want to dance or if it's a dancing based gig, the Irish country style will kind of dominate with just the odd little country, uh, the odd American country style song here and there. But if they're doing a sit-down concert, they'll often do more of the American country style songs mixed with maybe a few Irish ballads mixed with the Irish country style. So, and all the individual singers are different too. I mean, the likes of Johnny Brady, who I did the duet with, would be a huge Chris Stapleton fan. And he kind of brings, he had a rock background before he went into country music. So that rock soulful thing.
0: Yeah, you can hear that in his voice because it's... um... It's more that kind of Vince Gill, you know, it's that kind of style more, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It is. Yeah, it is. So there's an awful lot of variation, even within the broad banner of country music in Ireland and across the world, you know. Um, But as you say, the Vince Gill and the Chris Stapleton, he'd be heavily influenced by those singers. So, um, you know, I suppose that's probably the genre I'm heading for myself as well being from kind of a pop background, you know.
0: And would you have, you know, when it comes to country female artists, is there any kind of one or two singers who you kind of look at and you say, oh, I really like that style? In Whereas, Ireland. let's say, if you look at Chris Stapleton, Girls. Oh,
1: Girls. Um, I I really enjoyed listening to Casey Musgraves um, this last year and Maddie and Tay really enjoyed their music, Um it was actually Martin O'Neill, the fellow who produced uh, This Country Girl that introduced me to them. Well, I, I had heard Casey Musgraves on Radio 1, actually One Night Driving Home, and I loved her track. It was kind of like an indie country type song uh, called Slow Burn. And I thought it was really cool. It was, again, a really interesting fusion of indie music with country music. It was gorgeous. And and when I listened back to her, I then went back listening to her back catalogue. And some of her songs sound more pure american country and others of them are quite pop country and others are quite indie country and again to me you know it's quite natural to it's like dipping in and out of english in the irish language it's quite natural to cross genres these days i think um in, in all
0: i had a guest on on uh, last season and and she's a canadian country singer and her name is susie cory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh I came across her on LinkedIn and stuff, and I was following her kind of for a while. But then I, I kind of noticed there's another girl as well, Elise Saunders. And there's a in in Canada, there's it's 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 very American, obviously that kind of style. But you can see the differences as well. So it's funny how the the American country is interpreted differently in other countries, isn't it?
1: It is absolutely, yeah. And I know even for a lot of Irish gigs as well, they're put to different beats. They might take an American country song and. Put it to the foxtrot or put it to a waltz to yes. facilitate the jivers and the dancers and things. So that often happens as well, or or they'll even take Derek Ryan. Often takes pop songs and puts country beats underneath them, which is very cool, actually. You know,
0: like um, what's his name? Nathan was it Nathan Carter? Did the Time of Your Life yeah. by Green Day? Yeah, yeah, and, and adapted so they, it with, with the dance and adapted beats. it, yeah, yeah because yeah. and that's clever in a way because. You know, for some people that are Green Day fans, they might go, oh, my God, that's, that's sacrilege. Don't do that. But they're clever in the sense because they're saying, well, when I go do a concert, I, I, I know my mother, you know, she loves dancing for years. When she goes to a dance, she wants to dance. Exactly. So if yeah. they're playing Guns N' Roses, but it's to the right beat, she can dance exactly. to Exactly. Like a country song. <laughs> exactly. She That's what she wants.
1: Exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah? So but people adapting to the events they're... Singing for or performing for, you know? Um, and I think, it, and it is quite clever. I've seen some really cool kind of,
0: make, you know, country, countryfied versions of pop and rock tunes. Countrified versions, yeah. And so for you then, how you know your songwriting process is it is it kind of a case of you know melody comes first or words or are you at the piano or, or are you running and you get an idea how does it come about usually
1: all different ways for some reason i find the last few years it's the lyrics that keep coming first for me and it used to be melody and lyrics and um for some reason you know it just again I, I, for me there isn't much rhyme or reason to songwriting it kind of comes when it comes like often I might be driving in the car and an idea for lyrics would pop into my head or for a story for a song and it's great now having the mobile phone, you know, you didn't have it 20 years ago, just to make a quick note before you forget it and it goes out of your head. Um, but in this
0: past year, it's been very lyric based for me. I'm just laughing, thinking, you know, if the cops pulled you over and said, John, your phone, you go, no, 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 I, I was just writing a song. I know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of that for some strange reason when I'm driving. It happens to me a lot that something comes. Yeah, I have to be careful what I'm saying, don't I? <laughs> um, do you know what it is? It's just that your your mind is kind of relaxed. You know, when you're sometimes there's a bit of pressure. If you sit down and go, I am now going to write a song. You know, you're, you you start getting in your head and putting yourself under all this pressure. Where often I find this when I'm walking, or cleaning the kitchen, or driving, something where I'm kind of in my subconscious, and an idea kind of just pops up. And I go, Oh, that, that would be an interesting idea for a song. And then I maybe sit down and start writing some lyrics about it. And other times it might be, you know, a very, obviously the usual thing, like a very strong emotion that triggers me into wanting to sit down and put down how I'm feeling. That can happen as well. Um, you know, and I might, it might be a strong emotion, something that happened that day. It might be a movie you watched. It might be some other song, actually, I was listening to that triggers an emotion. And, uh, and I sit down and start writing about it. But, um, it, yeah. Normally, I'd either be go for the lyrics first or else melody and lyrics. And I used to, when I was younger, sit down at the piano and do it. But then, I don't know, I suppose different stages of your life, it it just comes to you in different ways, you know. And I've really enjoyed doing a lot of co-writing these last couple of years um, because, you know, you both bring your own strengths to the table. And during lockdown, I was, you know, sending ideas to other musicians, say with Johnny Brady. And then I wrote one recently with Ray McLaughlin. Derek Ryan's musical director. He's a lovely pianist and composer himself, and um, myself and Charlie McGetigan wrote a few. And I really enjoy co-writing because I suppose I'm quite a sociable creature too. So, you know, you both bring your strengths and you go over and back, and you know, you kind of you're editing each other too over and back, which is lovely. Do you know?
0: I, I have to laugh, but I had Charlie was on Charlie me was on the podcast and I was saying to him, I said, my problem is, Charlie, that I'll come up with ideas and I'll put them away like I'd be on the phone or on the computer and I'll be, I'm a procrastinator. I, I won't do anything with them. So now I, so sometimes I actually wrote a song there last week and I said before this weekend's out, I'm going to have that finished. You know, there's going yeah. to be no messing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's so funny because he said to me, you know what you have to do now, Simon? Whenever you get a good idea like that, he said, send it to me.
2: Oh, very good. (laughs) Very
1: good. (laughs) Well, you know, it's good for someone to hold you accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but,
0: but, But that's the thing, isn't it? Because you do need someone sometimes because I have like, I have all these rough demos and stuff. And a lot of the time you're like, oh, yeah, I will get to them. But... Sometimes they might never come out and you're as well nearly to even if a song is not as good as you think, get it finished and then judge it.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, you're dead right. And there is the danger sometimes when it's you and your own that, you know, you tuck it away and, you know, a year can pass in the blink of an eye and you've done nothing with it. Like, you know, or you haven't demoed it or you haven't finished it. So I think the process even of working with other people, it kind of helps me keep myself accountable as well. And I feel like I owe it to them to finish off my side of it. And they're the same. Like some of them have said to me that they felt they owed it to me, you know, to finish off writing it and send it get it back to me, like with ideas and things. So yeah, it's good yeah. to it kinda of, you make each other. Accountable. Well, well there
0: is that bit of pressure because yeah. You know, you could have a song and you could sing it for your husband and he might say, oh, you should release that. It's a great song. And you're like, yeah. And maybe family don't push you enough. But, you know, if you have a co-writer in, yeah. in another country or in another county and they're like, what, what are we doing with that song? Is, uh, did you do anything else with it? It's more pressure, isn't it? It's, it's kind of good. I think a lot of us work better under a bit of a deadline, don't
1: we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, and so when it comes then to recording, when you go in to record, whether it be at home or or in a studio, do you I are you which do you prefer? To track the song or do you like to kind of sing it with a live band? Do you have a style you like to work with when you're recording? Um I suppose just the way it's gone for
1: me recently. I was kind of recording when lockdown we were recording here at home. I I don't really mind. I mean, there's a lovely energy you get from a live band in an ideal world. Um we did a lot of my first album that way where you know the band were in and I'd go into the vocal booth and you'd be buzzing off their energy. And it's lovely to have that. I suppose since COVID, um, it was harder to have that, you know, to have a live, just to have a live band in a small studio space or whatever. Um, So I ended up doing a lot of it kind of separate to the band. Um, But I don't really mind. I mean, the main thing for me is, I suppose, is to be comfortable, to be very comfortable with the producer is important to me. Uh, you want to be as relaxed as you can Um, and not, you know, not nervous. And people might think, by me oh you don't get nervous anymore but you do sometimes and I, I like to just try and be as relaxed as I can so that I can give it my best and again just even keep all your muscles around your neck and shoulders relaxed um so to be comfortable with the producer and to have a good relationship with him is very important to me um so I, I definitely think that with music as I, I'm sure you'll feel the same yourself but, you know to have a good vibe with people and to feel comfortable with them it means an awful
2: lot
0: yeah I, I think what it is too as well you know, the full band thing obviously is brilliant, but obviously because of technology and you can even see it now where there's more and more big hits in all types of music coming out of bedrooms and coming out of, you know, look, look at uh, what's been Billy Eilish and Phineas, her brother. I mean, they're just still working on music in a small pokey bedroom. Yeah. So the thing is that the full band is not always necessary now to, yeah. to record an album, you know, you can do so much yourself and then obviously you need the band for, for a live show. Um, but so now I think technology helps people get stuff out there with less people.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I did have a full band on, on the track I did with Johnny and I'm working on an original song at the moment and there's a full band in that too, but I suppose they did it in their own time and, and I do the singing in my own time and, I suppose when people have families and everything like that too, it allows more flexibility than trying to even pencil a date in the diary that, you know, six people are all free the same day. You know what I mean? It, that even
2: in itself can be changed.
0: Yeah, and not to mention, you know, if you like if if you have a room that you can record in and you're using Pro Tools or Logic or whatever you're using, you know, you can do a lot of that yourself with your headphones on and you're not really bothering maybe other people in the house. But obviously, once you bring a band in and you say, we're going to set up in the sitting room, we're going to do this. It's much harder to schedule and the logistics, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose, um, I guess with COVID, we've all got into the habit of doing our little bits more separately, you know, for the for the moment anyway, for the past two years. um, But yeah, like it's funny, there's a bit, there's a lot of changes from when I did my first album to now in terms of, as you say, how much more easily you can do things at home. Um, you know, everything cost an arm and a leg back then. You'd spend thousands, like, you know, doing every little demo <laughs> yeah, uh, and yes. renting studio and getting studio time and getting the band in and everything where, you know, you can do it a lot more economically now, but I still like to use, for the type of stuff I'm doing, I still like to use pretty much a full band on it, but it's just that we're not maybe all there the same day, you know? And yeah, yeah, you can track down, it and stuff. They track it and they put down loads of options and you pick what you like then, you know?
0: Yeah, and the shame is now... Obviously, you know, I always think whenever anybody, you know, is bringing out a new album or a new single, you know, one time you could see them have a a promotion run for a month or two. But now I kind of in the last few years, and I've even seen it myself, the last time we released a single, it's you kind of have like about two weeks. And if you don't do a lot within that two weeks, it starts going downhill then, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to have it all happening that first two, three period. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I guess, you know, with everyone being out on social media and um, with it being easier to put stuff out there, there's a bigger volume and more competition. So, um, like you say, you kind of have to hit the ground running
0: very much so. Obviously, in Ireland, you know, the... You have the different scenes, you have the pop scene, you have kind of the urban music scene and um, you have the country scene and stuff. And then the folk scene, you know, and the, the rock scene isn't that big in Ireland at the moment. There are some good bands, but it's much harder because that style of music isn't in as such at the moment. But when you're bringing out, let's say, a, a country single now and, you know, even for the future, do you have to approach it much differently or are you trying to kind of mix it through the pop world as well?
1: I am doing a little bit of mixing it through the pop world as well. You know, like I am aiming for it to I am targeting, say, like Radio One, for instance, in Ireland, you know, and uh, as well as the country shows on all the different radio stations. Um So I suppose what I'm trying to do myself and my own trajectory is I want to take my glortira audience, they'd say who would know me from that, you know, and and uh, use that as my starting point. But then branch out, you know, hopefully bring them with me with the help of God <laughs> that they like what I'm doing. That's my little plan anyway. Um, so, you know, that's my basis, and my foundation, because that's probably where I'm best known. Um, and it had there had been a number of years since I would put out my first album where I was off writing Irish textbooks and I was off having babies and family commitments and all of that. Um, and it's the last couple of years, then I'm back at it. I was writing songs the whole time, you know, I've shed loads of songs there, but it's the past two years that I'd kind of spaced my own life to get back out releasing stuff again. Um, just the way my life went, you know? And, um, so like, you know, because I was basically relaunching myself again and doing it all myself this time, the first time around at a record company at management, they were kind of doing a lot of the leg work for me, but then by the same token, okay, you, you made your life easier in one way, but then you'd less control in another way over decisions being made and over maybe the way you wanted to do things. So, um, you know, like I'm kind of, you know, with with having the, con- the control and doing it your own way, you have to do more work as well. But, you know, but I suppose it's quite rewarding too, you know, because I was quite sort of proud of myself. It was the first time I ever did PR for a single. It was the single that me and Johnny did together. I'd never done PR myself before. And... Um, I was going to hire a company and Johnny Martin said, no, no, you know, you do it ourselves. And I was like, OK. And again, I felt I owed it to them to give it a good old whack and a good old push. And, um, You know, I was aiming for it to be played on Radio One and it did, which was great. We got a nice bit of play there, as well as the regional stations, which I was very grateful for. So the way I saw it was, was I was using, you know, my building blocks on the Glortiera audience and on the people that would follow that and all the country music shows around the country. But it was played on a lot of, daytime radio shows too that weren't necessarily specifically country music shows so it was great to have both because you have to kind of you know have a solid foundation somewhere and then branch out from there you know and that's kind of my plan is to you know build it on the foundation of um of the country music but then branch out into the pop audience and my music is crossover it is um you know kind of Nashville country pop that I do
0: yeah it is because it 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 has a it has a mixture and I think That's what like, even as I said, when that when that singer Susie Corey was on her music is country, but it's like there's rock elements in it, too. So, yeah, I think that's a good thing when you have that mixture like pop and country, because you'll turn it, you'll turn that song on to different people, won't you? Yeah,
1: that would be my intention. And to me, you know, um, I wouldn't see why it wouldn't be played on a pop music show as much as a as much as a country music radio show. And, And that's kind of the way I see it, you know, and. And to me, like I said, it's always been very natural to me all my life to cross over into different things and different genres. You know, I don't see any reason, you know, that you should be pigeonholed into one tiny box. No, no.
0: And that's the thing. I I don't like that. I think you have to kind of, as you mature as a person and as a musician, you have to kind of say, look, you know, I feel like doing this today. This is my style today. Of course, it's harder because... You know, there's always somebody, whether it be a record company or some a manager or somebody who's saying, "Yeah, but, but, I mean, you can't do rock and then do dance, or you can't do country, mm, and but, mm. I mean, you can do whatever you want because yeah. it's all expression. It and is, the yeah. way I look at it is, nowadays, an awful lot of musicians aren't making that much money anyway. So if you're not making that much money, you don't have much much to lose, do you? This is it.
1: <laughs> That's it. I'm very much just following my heart to where I'm at the time. I mean, a number of years ago, I'd written a lot of stuff in in a Celtic sort of style, but you know, some but then i ended up say, maybe um helping a friend of mine you know write irish lyrics for for a tune that wound up being used in the air ad and we got a nice few quid out of that which was great but
0: that was the f- f- Fingula, wasn't the... fine gula was excuse but, my pronunciation
1: but you know the work i'd done in that area of writing you know and writing lyrics off scale and stuff helped me you know t- with that gig and that brought in a few quid and it was a lovely tune it was it's a great old catchy melody that's got scalic tune anyway and, it we went up on the Late Late Show and it was in iTunes and Top 10 and some Israeli DJs. That, was, that did, really well. Yeah, that did really well. Yeah, that was great. But, you know, you, 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 I, I think it'll never come against you, Your, you know, the different genres and your work in different areas. It never goes against you. I think in life in general, you're constantly educating yourself. And, and I think it's good to be broad minded in all areas of life, you know, both of in course, music and, of and in life in general.
0: Well, you, you were saying there, obviously, in 2004, you, you were bringing out a lot of music, but then then you kind of, you know, I won't say pull back a little, but you, you were working on the books and the textbooks. How did that whole process come? Because was were you like kind of always interested in doing something like that or somebody asked you or how did it happen? To be honest with you, I'd never thought of doing it
1: um, and it wasn't on my radar at all. And um, it completely took me by surprise. I suppose what happened for me is we put out the album in my 20s and um, I, and then, you know, there was kind of one of these pivotal moments where we were debating about going to England with it and the head of BBC Radio really liked the song but there was one of these kind of make or break moments where the company that I was with the big they went to get advice from a big PR company in England at the time and they said you know you need a video and the company said well when she gets on the A playlist on BBC Radio 2 we'll make the video and the company were, the PR company were like well you need the video first and to and to help her get on the A-list you know and like and we, we, the PR company had said to us the head of BBC Radio really likes her song it was a song called I'll Be There at the time and it was a lovely song lyrically and everything and a nice story to it but um, I was so ju- like overjoyed that the, he liked the song but then very frustrated that the PR company were telling us you need a video and we'd already spent a load of money on the album at this point for which I was very grateful but it was very apparent that that was their advice that that was the next step and when that kind of didn't happen, you know, people dug their heels and whatever. I and I think I had about twenty quid left in the bank. <laughs> I, I kind of got a bit disheartened, you know, I was kind of going, well, okay, I'm running out of money. Like England is the next step in my mind at that moment. And it you know, it, it was plain, they were making it clear what the advice was. And if we weren't going to follow that, um at the time I kind of lost heart a bit and I kind of went into myself a bit, if I'm honest with you. And like I I would say I was probably, you know, I wouldn't say depressed, but like, you know, a little sad for a number of years, if I'm honest, because I wanted, you know, I wanted to take that next step and I wanted just to go the whole hog with it. And I did feel at the time it was very important to get outside of Ireland. And here was the head of BBC Radio loving your song. I just wanted to go for it. You know what I mean? Uh, and and um, and I knew, I suppose, that to, you know, to earn a, a comfortable living and things like that from the whole thing, that that's what needed to happen. Um, so. to to go to a bigger market and everything so there was that kind of moment and then as I said I had about 20 quid left in the bank so I went back teaching (laughs) to pay the rent I didn't want to be going back to Kerry to with my tail between my legs and I'd be kind of proud that way are you still
0: at the music
1: (laughs) now my parents are wonderful and everything but you know at the same time you know I've been raised where you kind of go you have to stand on your own two feet and you have to do whatever you need to do to earn a few quid um so I went back teaching and And then I hadn't any H dip done. And my husband was in the music industry as well at the time doing sound for different bands. And the rents in Dublin were very high. And I just kind of thought, you know, again, I got an offer then of going into radio in RTE, which I would love to have done if money wasn't an issue. I'd love to have gone and had a go at it. But as your man said to me at the time, he said you could be in there for six weeks or six months or six years there's no guarantee and there's no guarantee no guarantee and just with my husband being in the same industry as me which was what brought us together in the first place it's, it can be quite hard if you're both in such a volatile industry and in something that's up and down so and
0: very unstable
1: yeah this is it i mean that's the reality and you still have to pay your rent and you still have to live so at the time i went back and did a h Dip because they were talking about making it a two year course which they have done since i went back and did it, the teaching diploma and i Got a permanent job, and I kind of my, my long term plan was if I get a permanent job and if I want to go back at the music, I can take a career break or I can go job sharing um, and look, life kind of goes mad. I had different family things going on at the time. you know my mom wasn 't well that kind of took my attention for a couple of years and then a man just came into my school one day from the publishing company from Gill and Macmillan, as they were known at the time, and said, You know did you give the did you, were you the one giving the Easter revision course in Fox Rock Institute of Education? It was a grind school' and he just appeared out of nowhere. He'd sent me a letter. Um, I hadn't received it in my school. And um he landed in actually in a day I was putting on a school musical in the school. I was teaching music as well. And uh I was like, who is this person? And, you know, I, I thought I owed money for a book. I nearly didn't go down to him because yeah. it was a really busy day. And I had like yeah. five minutes that day to gulp down a cup of tea with no lunch break because we were up the walls. The musical was going on that night. And I was quite cranky going down to him going, who is this man? You know, what's he bothering me for? Do I, is he trying to sell me a book? Do I owe him money? And he was like, oh, you know, we're interested in you writing a book for us. And then I was, I was quite taken aback because my head was all over the place that day. And I was like, oh, and did you receive my letter? No. And I just had to sit with it for a week or two and go, you know, will I do this? Will I not? And then I was asking him questions and, um, and I got thinking about it and I thought, God, you know, this would be a nice new challenge. And I, Need something for a house deposit as well. You know, I might give this a go. <laughs> so um, I ended up writing three Irish books. And, and I liked the idea of contributing something to the language because I felt the language gave me a lot. It gave me my start actually in music. It was at a TG Cahar gig that I first got my record deal. It was actually a kind of Glortira. There was a program called Cule Tira before there was Glortira. And I was on as a
0: guest. I was going to talk to you about that. You can tell us about that in a minute.
1: Yeah. Well, I was a guest on Kjol Tira, as it was known before it became the competition part of the series. And um I went on and sang two songs. And from that, because of the Irish, you know, and because partly because one of my songs had a country tension to them and partly because I spoke Irish. And through that one gig, um the record company were at that's how I got my record deal. So like I like, partly of the Irish language thanked for ever having got wow. a record deal. And Then I was asked back as a judge in courtier and I'm still here 17 years later. So the Irish language has been really good to me. Yeah. You know, so I liked the idea of contributing something back with the books.
0: Looking more into Gloria Thier, because I remember uh, I uh, was on television. And if I'm not ra- wrong, it was more traditional, wasn't it? It was more... It
1: was just more of a concert programme. Yeah, it was yeah, more of a concert yeah. programme. And there wasn't a competition element to it at that point. Um, and it was just different country artists.
0: Where was Kjolthier filmed?
1: The one I went to was up in On Greenon Theatre in, in Letterkenny. On Letterkenny? Uh, Letterkenny in Greenon the year I did it. And our present presenter, Ethan Hursch, was the one presenting it actually but way, way back then as well. And um, yeah, it was more of a concert program. And I remember Jerry Carney, the country singer, was playing that night and I went down and did a guest spot with two songs. But um, I think, you know, again, having the language kind of helped open the door for me to get on. Now, they liked my music too, but the fact you were able to speak the language helped as well. So, you know, the, the language really helped open doors for me. Even when I was promoting my first single, when you'd get on the Irish language radio shows and TV shows, then the fact you could say you were on those helped open the door for you with the English English language shows. So it was a really great help to me, and again, it just helped to you spread your net that bit wider. Um, and it, it was really a fantastic help with the music. But um, so then I went off writing the Irish books, but I was continuing to write songs the whole time in the background, um, and you know, then went and did the air ad. Then we were asked to write more books. And I suppose they were quite lucrative. So we did, myself and another girl, wrote five more books together. And I was having babies as well while writing those five books.
0: (laughs) Your kids are four and seven or eight?
1: Four and eight now, yeah. Bella's four and Sean is eight. Um, And I was still doing gigs and stuff while teaching full time and writing the books. And I was doing gigs in Kerry here with the Scotia Ensemble, the String Ensemble, and doing a few gigs in the National Concert Hall. Just things that kind of happened to fall into my lap at the time. But it's it's just this past year or two now that I've had any time to kind of go after it as such in terms of co-writing, putting out singles. And I have to say, it brings me an awful lot of joy doing it. Like that's my main reason. It's just it brings me huge joy to do it because I kind of feel closest to God when I am doing it. I feel like I feel like it's a big part of my life purpose to write songs and to sing them and to put them out. It makes my soul very happy to do it. So,
0: yeah. And, you know, the the great thing about that is, you know, through all this kind of journey of music and different things you do. And as you say, just putting food on the table and and having to work the normal nine to five jobs. You kind of rediscover yourself, and you say, "Okay, this is what I'm doing now," and it can lead you to other things. You know, you don't know what will pop up. And I, I see looking at your career that a lot of things popped up because of other things, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. And and I definitely have felt that just you know just through going living your life, I've an awful lot more to write about. You know, the last kind of couple of years than. You know, I I, I, there was that feeling when I was actually sort of paid by the record company to sit at home and write songs. I won't lie to you, like I felt pressure, you know, to to sit, let's sit down at the piano and write a hit song. I felt pressure. I know there's loads of, um, you know, nearly like songwriting factories in Nashville and America. And I really admire them, that they can do it under that pressure. But um, I think maybe when you're co-writing, it's less pressure, actually. But when you're sitting there on your own at home going now, we have to write a hit song now for next week. doesn't work like that for me, (laughs) you
0: know, it's no. And the the other thing as well, you know, lots of people can write 50 songs and maybe get one good song out of it. And some people can write lots of them. But the thing is, I think when you're in a kind of a songwriting factory style thing, if you're bringing out good songs, they probably want them to get better. So if you have any periods where there's a lull and the melodies aren't as nice or, you know, and that can be because you don't have inspiration in your life or it's a hard time I mean, that's a hard thing because that's see songwriting is a lot about emotion, as you said there, because you can watch a movie and it can inspire you to write a song. You can see something or feel something in life that inspires you to write a song. So if you're trying to do it like on call or, you know, to command, it's hard sometimes. Very
1: hard. I mean, because everything I'd written for that album, I had done just to naturally living my life, not under that kind of pressure. Uh, And suddenly then when I, I... when I was put in the situation of now you're being paid to sit at home and write songs, I have to admit there was a pressure to that and it felt nearly a little bit contrived or a little bit pressure under pressure. Whereas like the last couple of years, again, I came from a non-pressure perspective where I just was like, I'm just going to focus on my emotion and what I'm feeling. I've done a lot of self-development myself actually the last few years that kind of helps me, um, you know, doing a lot of self-development work and counseling and things. I, I'm more comfortable letting my emotions closer to the surface. I I can identify looking back that there were certain periods in my life like us all, I think at times, and even I think it's a bit of an Irish thing as well, where, you know, if there's difficult things going on, you kind of go into robot mode and the just get on with it mode. And like you say, you're getting out and you're dropping the kids to school and you're working your job and you're doing this and that. But the last few years, I worked a lot on digging deep into myself and I suppose making myself the best person I can be and looking at my own patterns and looking at my own history and but actually getting more comfortable feeling emotions and my my emotions now are closer to the surface. Now obviously you have to find op- appropriate occasions when to let them out <laughs> and when you need to kind of keep a professional veneer, you know, but from the point of view of my writing I think it's really helped because um it's it makes the writing more authentic and more heartfelt and more honest, I think, and more real. And um, you have to be in touch with your own emotions, I think, to be able to deliver anything
0: genuine in a songwriting situation, you know, so. Uh, Of course, yeah. And I can imagine, obviously, you being a a judge on Gloria Cheer, you know, you, you, you have that kind of unique perspective where, you know, if you said to a lot of songwriters, I'm going to bring you to listen to other people. And, you know, you have to, like, you know give your perspective on them would you have that like you know week in week out and it must have a, a an influence on your own songwriting to hear these different voices different styles of writing it does
1: it does and yeah it, it has exposed me even to a lot of songs and a lot of artists that i might never have known of otherwise and and kind of opened my eyes to all the different kind of even little sub within country music too you know all the different subgenres of American country music, Irish country music, and then the, sometimes the mixture of traditional Irish elements as well and and folk and things. So, um, yeah, like even just hearing beautiful new songs, like it, it enriches you the whole time. Just the more music you're exposed to, I think it's a great thing. And like that, i I on different days as well. I'd be listening to a lot of film music, a lot of classical music. Um, I mean, it it feels very natural to me to add in strings to a lot of my songs, you know, because of the classical background.
0: Um, And that that
1: feels very natural to me. And I see, you know, even Chris Stapleton and his wife were saying, actually, it was a new thing for them on his most recent album. They brought, you know, there was a lot of strings on that song of his called Cold. And that was their first time doing that. But that feels very natural to me because of the classical background. And loads of pop and rock bands, I think, you know, it's become more of a, it's become more, how do I say, quite normal, isn't it now, to put in some brass or some orchestra or some strings to different songs.
0: The thing is, isn't it, with some songs, you can you you have this vision of them being a bigger song maybe with strings or whatever yeah. and then somebody might go no no maybe you should just have like a cello and a guitar or a cello exactly. and a piano, something yeah. simple like damien so rice it's, it's hard like that, as yeah. the artist sometimes as the artist you're like no i kind of imagined a, a string quartet and you know drums and this kind of stuff but sometimes you don't see it the way another person sees it and especially when you hear a song that has a piano version now and then maybe it's a dance track and you're like, wow, maybe that was the original, the piano track.
1: I know. Absolutely. Uh, that's so true for you. And even the amount of different versions you can have of the same song, <laughs> from the acoustic it's version sure. to the band version,
0: to the orchestral version. There's so many different versions. So so now when when um, when you're doing "Glory Cheer," because Glore Cheer." as far as I know, has kind of nearly always been filmed in the keys and It stuff. has, yeah. Did you ever have somewhere, did you ever have a season where you filmed it somewhere different?
1: Well, this season actually now we're filming somewhere different. We're in Q1, we have a new set and a new format to the show that we're doing in Q1 down in Clear Galway. So um, okay. that's a big departure, a big new departure. And there's some new, quite exciting elements to the new format for the show that I think will be, will be exciting to the audience you know there'll be a, g- a different guest judge on every week and um, will oh, be a well-known country singer and um there's a new format to it where we'll have um some contestants who go straight to the semi-final and other contestants who go to an elimination round reliant on the public vote and that's going to shake the whole thing up and add a lot of excitement too because with all the concert programs, then there'll be like a sing-off between two contestants. Um, yes, yes. Uh, and they're not knocked out of the competition. It just means they go for the public vote, and one is safe to go straight to the semi-final. So I think um, the audience will enjoy that little element of excitement that's in there. Um, when we first recorded the show, actually, we, we did it in the hotel out in the Clyde bon. Okay, yes. Um, well, well, the very first series, actually, we were out in a little studio out in Connemara, out in Spittle. And then we moved into the Clyde bon Hotel. Hotel. Um, for some of the auditions. And then we moved from there to the Keys. And we were in the Keys a very long time. I have a terrible sense of time, but I think we were there about 14 years. And now we're gone to a new set, uh, which looks really class um, out in Q1. And a lot of, even the singers were saying, you know, it looked really cool through the camera lens. You know, it looks really atmospheric and the band have more space on stage and everything. So I think
0: people will like the new look. One thing there that in all those years and when Glory Cheer started, because obviously TG4, TG kahar you know, you're, and I suppose, how would I put this? Their kind of ethos is trying to promote the Irish language. So... With Glow Cheer, you know, you have a lot of singers that come on that don't speak any Irish. So was there a time at the beginning where people were saying, oh, no, no, they have to speak Irish? Or was that kind of a thing? Oh, it doesn't matter. How how did that start in the beginning?
1: Yeah, I I think there was quite a relaxed attitude, really, in in terms of the singers speaking Irish or not speaking Irish, because the singers were most of their part of the show was singing their songs anyway. So the focus was really on their talent from the word go. And then I suppose being an Irish language show, um, it was important, you know, that at least two out of the three judges spoke a lot of Irish, if not all three. I remember, I suppose the first few years we did it, the three of us were speaking Irish pretty much all the time and maybe throwing in one sentence in English. And as the years wore on, you know, there was a certain value too to, to um, having a few lines of English so that the contestants knew what we were saying about them, you know, and that they could react to that facially with their facial expression on stage. Um, so, I mean, the focus has been in the talent and then obviously there's, there's a lot of Irish in the show between the presenter, who's a native speaker, and, you know, um, and most of the judges' comments are through Irish, but we will use a little bit of English too. But with the contestants, the, the main focus is on their voice and they do sing an Irish language song uh, for one of the episodes out of the series. So, you know, they, they do their bit for the language that way. But um, I suppose the main focus is on their singing and on their songs. And stuff.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing because obviously... You know, you don't want to push anyone away because they don't speak the language, because as you said, it's about the talent. But then yeah. on the other side and the production side and and your your demographic, you're trying to kind of keep the Irish language alive and promote mm. it. Yeah. So I'm sure there have been times there when you've been judging and maybe you were giving them compliments and they're like, oh, they hate it. I don't know what they're
1: saying, but they hate <laughs> It's funny. It's, it's funny. You know, the way babies and little children pick up a lot from your tone of voice. People pick up a lot <laughs> yes, from your yes. tone of voice or they'd hear the kahanawa, You know, they'd have some few words. Yeah, in yeah. Tone. yeah. Uh, and if you're the big smile, they pick up more than you think from the body language and the facial expressions, I think. Um, and it, they might have some few words, you know, that kind of way. Uh, so they pick up more than
2: you think.
0: <laughs> yeah. So So basically then, obviously, in this next season, because of the move and everything you've kind of decided to shake up the show a little bit and change yeah. the format and whatever yeah. so that should be kind of a, a new refreshing thing for the show i
1: yeah? think so i think and i think people will enjoy the excitement you know every week they'll be wondering who the guest judge is and they'll be wondering you know which of the two contestants at the end of the show is going to be automatically put through and which will go to the public vote so i think it's injected a little bit more excitement um into it which I mean it 's been a fantastically successful show for many years, but I mean, I suppose you know it 's always healthy isn 't it to add new elements in the last couple of years, like you know there had been more of a social media you know side dimension to the show as well on Instagram and on Facebook and so on, and little little kind of behind the scenes interviews with the judges and with the contestants um, on social media, so you know I think in every walk of life we 're always kind of adding on more dimensions to things and keeping it fresh and um and I think it'll be, I, I hope people will enjoy it. And I, I think it will add a little burst of excitement to the thing. Um, and it's nice to do that, you know, and shake things up a bit every couple of years.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's really great. I'm glad to hear that. And, and it should be interesting to see that, you know, and, and how it all looks and sounds and everything now. So moving forward for you, you know, besides obviously glory Cheer, what other things that you can tell us about? Do you have in the pipeline? Like, are you working on a lot of music, yeah. and or are you doing other presenting stuff as well?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I've been approached for to do more presenting, um, but it's our very early days yet. So I, I kind of, you know, I wouldn't. Be getting into until it's definite but um there's different kind of things being proposed and, and that you know that we have to write up pitches for and so on so it's lovely to be approached and to be asked to to you know throw the hat in the ring for those things um and in terms of my own music I'm working quite hard at the moment I have two new original songs that I'm hoping to put out in the spring um one is being recorded with strings from uh Bulgaria <laughs> and um that I co-wrote with Ray McLaughlin and uh Ray's also producing an original track with me that I co-wrote with my husband and with a very talented composer in Dublin, John Walsh, the same guy I worked with on the air ad. He, he goes under the okay. name Symphonic. Um, myself and John had written a lot of stuff for advertisements um, over the years, and I'd sang on a lot of advertisements um, for him. And uh, the air ad worked really well, and he co-wrote one of the songs with me on my first album, and um, he co-wrote this song with me and Stephen as well. So I'm excited for that because I think it's a really good song. I'm dying to get this song out. I've actually been working on tipping at it for years and it's great just to get it out now it's um and I'm really happy with the production on it so we're just kind of fine-tuning the mix and I need to make a little music video for it and do my little bit of work to upload it onto you know Spotify and all of that so I'm hoping to come out with that in January February time and then the other song will be hot in its heels ready to go as well and uh and i just want to get my songs out you know i have a whole heap of songs written and i just want to get them out and i'm in talks with them with someone else to to do maybe a big orchestral treatment on another kind of big kind of country pop ballad i've written and um that i wrote for my mom so i'd love to get that out too but i'd say it would probably be the autumn by the time i get that out because it it nearly does take about six months to get a song ready i find to, to get it to the level i want it to be yeah um by the time you you know, record it and mix it and master it and do your artwork, yeah, and do your video. There's a lot behind the scenes. It does take time. And um, I suppose as, as I'm getting older, I've, I'm trying to learn to be more patient as well, you know, to, and just yeah. you know, wait till it's ready, wait till it's right. And um, so I'm hoping to, I'm definitely hoping to get the next song out now in January, February time. But in the meantime, I'm doing a really cool um, gig before Christmas of movie, movie themes um i oh, was nice. obsessively listening there to the new james bond tracks and sc- listening back to the old ones like golden eye and skyfall and yeah i got it into my Shirley head and yeah. yeah and i got it into my head i'd love to do i love cine- cinematic music and with that crowd the Scottish ensemble i was telling you about that i did a tour with them before we're doing a movie night theme before christmas down here in chile that'll be on the 12th of december um so i'm looking forward to that and um the, this, the duet with Chantelle is out tonight, actually, at 8pm Irish time. It's out on social media now with the Kelly Clarkson song. Um, because of you, we're doing a, we did a duet together. So looking forward to that coming out and hoping to do more Ivory Session songs with Mark as well. So loads of stuff in the pipeline. And and I'm just constantly writing as well. I'm always hungry, like, to write, you know, a, another good quality song and constantly think of new ideas. So busy, busy. um I'm that's, job that's sharing really teaching good. this year as well. So I'm still teaching, but teaching part-time. And then um, with Tiji and being a mother, I'll tell you, this will still be kept busy <laughs> between the whole thing.
0: You sound so busy, but it's good. I it's mean, great, yeah. oh, it's just finding great. the time, isn't it? That's it. finding the time to do everything. But I mean, look, you know, best of luck with everything. It's you sound like you're going to have a busy year next year, whatever about the rest of this year. And, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I think you're going to sing a song for us in a minute. Yes. But before that, um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on, telling us your story and telling us about what you're doing and what you're going to be doing. And it's been a pleasure to have you on. Katrina O'Sullivan, everybody. Thanks
1: so much, Simon. You're very welcome. Thanks a million, Simon. Thanks for having me.
0: What song are you going to do for us, actually?
1: Um, I one of my all-time favourite Irish ballads is Raglan Road. That's kind of my little party piece. <laughs> if I, you know, if I was asked in a pub or at a family get together or at any occasion, often when you're singing a cappella with no backing music, I'd go to Raglan Road because it's such a strong poem and the, the lyrics. Of yes, it.
0: I love it. Yeah, oh. I love Raglan Road.
1: Even the other night, I I, I looked up Shane O'Connor singing it, and then I went to the lyrics and. God, it just brought tears to my eyes. Like it's just one of those ones, and I've you've heard it. I don't know how many times before, and read the lyrics how many times before. But it's such a beautiful poem. It's so powerful. So
0: it's lovely. And and you know, the first time I ever heard the Sinead O'Connor version, it gave me goose pimples. Like I, I was oh. like, I was thinking, wow. You know, if if you were never a fan of her singing, when yeah. you hear her singing that song, she, it's she just does fantastic. an incredible
1: job of those Irish ballads. She moved through the fair in Ragdon Road. She makes an amazing job of them. Yeah. Um, and she, absolutely hair raising as you say uh,
0: really beautiful very haunting so so let, we'll let you off thank you again and uh, good luck with this thanks Simon
2: <laughs> on Racklin Road of an old that hurt our care would we A creation.
0: nice
1: thanks a million simon
2: thank you very nice that's lovely
0: (laughs) that's beautiful that really really nice version katrina thanks thank you very much for coming on and thank you for singing a beautiful song and until the next time take care of yourself thanks so much simon Thank you very much, Katrina. That was lovely. And that was a beautiful version of that song. A very well-known song. And you did it beautifully. So we thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. and loved hearing about your stories and your varied career. And you've done so much. And I know you'll continue to do so much more. So we want to say best of luck with everything. And thanks again for coming on the show. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning again to the Collective Whisper podcast with me, your host, Simon Kay. And we look forward to having you on soon again. And stay tuned. Lots of interesting guests coming your way and we just want to remind you next week's episode is the collective whisper podcast christmas special and we will be showing you all of the songs sung over the last season or so and we hope you tune into that because we have some really interesting music and really some amazing artists to sing those songs so you know why not listen to us over your christmas dinner or sitting back having a nice drink we'll be here you can be here too with us And as I said at the beginning, show us some love and please follow and subscribe if you get the chance. We want you to take care of yourself, take care of your family and have a lovely week and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye.